Prayer. You know you ought to do it, but it's hard. Uh, your mind drifts, you, you lose focus from time to time. You've tried making a list to kind of organize your time, and you, you pray through it, but it feels kind of more like mechanical repetition sometimes than a, a meaningful relationship with the Lord, conversation with Him. Prayer, as you know, is an essential part of the Christian life. For in prayer, we, we talk to our Heavenly Father. And this morning, as we study 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we, we see the Apostle Paul ask for the Thessalonians to pray for him. So he's asking other Christians to pray for him. And we see the Apostle Paul pray for these Christians. He prays for the Thessalonians. You know, nothing has shaped my prayer life more than the prayers of the Apostle Paul in Scripture. Uh, more than a decade ago, a friend introduced me to a book on Paul's prayers entitled A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Uh, from that book, I learned simply to just pray God's Word back to him. I started to pray Paul's prayers, and I learned there, I learned to pray uh, other portions of God's Word too. It's my hope that as we consider Paul's request for prayer this morning and Paul's prayer requests for the Thessalonians that your prayer life will be invigorated and encouraged. We have an amazing privilege in prayer. Uh, we, we, in prayer, we have an audience with the King of heaven and earth. We get to speak to someone greater, more powerful, and more loving than the earth's greatest president, king, or prime minister. In prayer, we get to speak with God. And this morning, we get to hear his voice in his word. If you haven't done so, let me encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 990, 990. And while you're turning there, allow me just to give you a little bit of background on this letter that, that we're studying, this letter from Paul. So far in our study of Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, we have met the men whose names head this letter, begin this letter, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. We learn how God used these men to establish this church because of the opposition of Paul's teaching or opposition to Paul's gospel teaching, he was forced to actually leave uh, this church, this city of Thessalonica. So this, this young church was kind of left on their own. They were young in the faith when Paul was torn away from them. They were left on their own to grow and face several difficulties. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation had died. The church was persecuted for their faith. And the Thessalonians faced you know, the, the normal afflictions that come with living in a fallen world. All of that would have been enough to kind of shake up the church and, and cause them to be fearful. But something else happened too. Some strange teaching concerning the day of the Lord. That's a teaching about Jesus' return. Some strange teaching about the day of the Lord had turned up. People were teaching strange things. Some people were saying that the day of the Lord actually had already come. This was contrary to Paul's teaching. And, and that's what prompted Paul to write this letter, this second letter to the church in Thessalonica. He wrote it probably about 50 or 51 AD. Paul urged the church not to be shaken or alarmed because the day of the Lord had not come. 
Paul then reminded the Thessalonians as to why they could stand firm in the face of these difficulties. Instead of being like a ship blown from its moorings, they could remain firmly tied down in this storm because of their election to salvation and glory. In other words, instead of being alarmed, they can be assured of their hope of heaven because God ordained in eternity past that they would obtain glory. That's what we learned about in our last study of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, the verses leading up to the passage that we're looking at this morning. Paul has given the Thessalonians heavenly assurance And now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul lends the Thessalonians his confidence while asking for their prayers. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And to the steadfastness of Christ. We're going to study these verses under four headings. Paul's first request, Paul's reminder, Paul's reassurance, and Paul's second request. And I'll repeat each of those headings as we're working our way through this passage. But here's here's just a summary of kind of where we're going. Paul first requests that the Thessalonians would pray for him and his co-workers in the gospel. These preachers of the gospel. He asks for prayer. Paul then reminds the Thessalonians of God's faithfulness and its implications for them. This leads Paul to reassure his brothers and sisters by lending them his confidence concerning them. The verses then come full circle by Paul requesting that God direct the hearts of the Thessalonians to his love and steadfastness. So let's unpack the truths found in these wonderful verses. Let's begin with our first point, Paul's first request. Paul's first request. And take a look there at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 again. Let me read verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. First, notice who Paul makes this request to. He asks his brothers in the church in Thessalonica to pray for him and his companion. In fact, uh, Paul is actually asking his brothers and sisters to pray for him. You may notice there in your Bibles, there's a little footnote next to the word brothers. And if you look down kind of at the bottom of the page there, you'll notice something like, or brothers and sisters. And from what I understand, the original uh, word in the Greek simply is, is brothers, but it's actually gender inclusive, uh, meaning that Paul wanted both male and female believers in the church in Thessalonica to pray for him. And this request for prayer, I think this is just so incredibly pastorally wise from Paul. It's practical. Remember, this, this church is scared and struggling. They've been, they've been jolted by false teaching and persecution. And what, what do scared and struggling people do? They turn inward. They they turn inward and focus in on themselves and try to conquer their problems all on their own. 
That's actually a sure way to kind of lose the battle. By, by asking the church in Thessalonica to pray for him and his companions, Paul is asking them to turn outward, to think about others, to consider the, the wider work of the gospel around their region and the world. They've got troubles, yes. They're not insignificant. They're not unimportant. They've got troubles. But the hard work of the gospel is also taking place elsewhere. And they're not the only ones who need prayer and attention. Perhaps you struggle to pray. Perhaps you think to yourself, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Uh, Can I just encourage you with a few things on the subject of prayer? First, just talk to God. Just talk to Him. Tell Him your heart. Second, try to pray His Word. Try to, to pray a passage of the Bible. Just read a few verses of the Bible and try to pray God's Word back to Him. So, for example, you could even pray this passage. You could pray, Lord, help me to honor Your Word with faith today. That's what Paul says right here. God's Word was honored. So, Lord, help me to honor Your Word with faith today. Just pray God's word back to Him. Finally, if you're still worried that your prayers are are muddled and kind of meandering, then be encouraged from the words of of the great Puritan minister Richard Sibbs. He says, God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. Just pray. The, The Lord knows that you're trying. He's such a good and gracious and patient father. You know, our prayers to God are sometimes like the requests we receive from three-year-old kids. Uh, Even if you've never uh, had kids, I'm sure you've had uh, a a child run up to you, a three-year-old child run up to you, and excitedly kind of say your name three times before they finally get to the the actual request that they want to make. So so my son, he runs up to me and he says, Daddy, 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 I was, I was, I was, I was running. And, and then, you know, the request comes. May I please have some water? Ice water, please, in a cup. You know, our, our prayers are like that sometimes. Our requests may be repeated and, and kind of out of their logical order and sometimes without thanks. But you know what? The Lord still loves that kind of prayer. He, he loves that kind of prayer because just like a good father, He loves His children. He, he loves that kind of prayer because just like my son believed that I was able to give him a cup of ice water to quench his thirsty body from all that running, God is delighted when his children believe that he can answer their requests. So brothers and sisters, let's make them. Let's bring our requests to God. Let's pray. In requesting that these saints Pray for him, pray for Paul. Paul's not distracting them from their troubles, but drawing them out of them. He has given them the the theological footing to deal with their own struggles, to depend upon God. That's what we do in prayer. We depend upon God. And God has the sovereign power to, to bring about their salvation and bring them to their final salvation. The gospel is victoriously struggling against the forces of evil. And that situation is actually everywhere. It's taking place in Thessalonica. And it's taking place everywhere Paul is going to preach. They need prayer. The church in Thessalonica. And so do others. So does Paul and his companions. The apostle Paul needed prayer. 
In prayer, we are petitioning our God to hear and act for the good of His people and the glory of His name. So that, that's how I'll often conclude my prayers. Lord, would you, would you please answer these requests for the good of your people and the glory of your name? But what was Paul requesting that the Thessalonians pray for him? You know, Paul's good at giving specific requests. I want you to pray for these things. He gives them three things. For God's word to speed ahead. For God's word to be honored. And for deliverance from evil men. Those three requests are certainly kind of distinguishable. You can tell the difference between the three. But I don't think they should be divided from one another. In fact, I think they're kind of inherently connected. I hope we'll see that in just a moment. When Paul asks for the Thessalonians to pray for God's word to speed ahead, he's, he's asking for them to continue to pray for the advance of the gospel. Some translations bring out the idea of, of the advance of God's word by translating this request from Paul to say that Paul's asking that the gospel would run rapidly, kind of to make it to the finish line. There's this idea of a race taking place, and, and Paul's asking for the Thessalonians to pray for the gospel to continue to, to make its way across the world and on to victory, which is nothing less than God gathering all of his people into his redeemed family through repentance and faith. Now, some of you may have, have noticed that I've been using Paul's phrase, the word of the Lord, and the gospel interchangeably. And I have, and that's for a reason. The word of the Lord, God's word, has as its content the good news of Jesus Christ, or the gospel. From the very beginning of the Bible, uh, God has been revealing that he would send a Savior to redeem sinners from the punishment of sin and death. That was the promise at the beginning of the Bible, and it it is the unfolding revelation of God's word. Paul wants God's word of promise, the gospel, to rapidly advance. But he also asks that the Thessalonians pray that it will be honored too. It's not just that this gospel goes somewhere, but also that it's received with faith. That's how God's word is honored. It's honored by repentance and faith. God's word is honored by sinners turning away from their rebellion and turning away from trusting in themselves and believing that the Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth to live, die, and be raised from the grave for the forgiveness of their sins. John Murray puts it this way, quote, Faith is the whole-souled movement of self-commitment to Christ for salvation from sin and its consequences. Faith is knowledge passing into conviction and it is conviction passing into confidence. Faith is engagement of person to person, the engagement of the sinner as lost to the person of the Savior who is able and willing to save. Do you see how God's word, how the word of the Lord is honored? Do you see how repentance and faith honors the Lord? Repentance and faith honor God because in repentance we agree and admit that what God has said about us in his word is true. He said that we are sinners, and he's right. We have transgressed God's law, we've rebelled against him, and we need to turn away from our rebellion. Faith honors God because it is an abandonment of self-salvation to salvation by Jesus Christ alone. Faith agrees that Jesus is the only one who can save. Again, in the words of, of Dr. Murray, Faith believes that Jesus Christ, in the glory of his person, in the perfection of his finished work, and in the efficacy of his exalted activity as King and Savior, is willing and able to save. Have you 
honored the word of the Lord by turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Friend, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm especially directing that question to you. Do you know that the Lord made you to love Him, to obey Him, worship Him, and honor Him with faith? You and I and everyone in this world have all sinned against God. We've sinned against the very author of our lives, the one who has authority over us. Just like our first parents, just like Adam and Eve, we have all decided to live our own way. And in doing so, we have dishonored the Lord. By our sin, we have said to the author of our lives, I'm rejecting your authority. We've told him that he doesn't have the right to rule over us. Our sin is an offense against him. And for our sin, we deserve to be punished. In fact, the Bible says that the wages or the payment that's rightly due to sin is death. Because we have sinned against the holy and eternal God, we deserve to face his holy and eternal punishment for our sin forever in hell. But the good news of the Bible is this, that God promised to send a Savior to rescue sinners from the punishment that they deserve. And God did send that Savior. He sent His one and only most beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the life that we have not lived, a life of perfect, sinless obedience to the glory of God the Father. Though Jesus was without sin, He gave up His life for sinners. On the cross, He died bearing the punishment that was due to the sins of all of those who would ever turn from their sins and honor Him by placing their faith in Him, believing that He died for their sins. And three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. God honored Jesus for His obedience to Him, vindicating Jesus and so proving to us all that those who honor the Lord Jesus Christ by turning from their sins and placing their faith in Him for salvation, they will never be put to shame. Do you recognize that? By honoring Jesus with repentance and faith, you will never be put to shame. Friend, will you honor the word of the Lord and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you want to know more about what it means to, to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, please do find me at the door after the service or talk with your friend or family member that you came here with this morning. There's nothing more important than you can do today than to honor the word of the Lord through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, he says there, you'll notice in verse 3, he says uh, that the Thessalonians honored God's word in this way. Through Paul's preaching, the gospel victoriously and rapidly ran ahead and conquered their hearts, the hearts of the Thessalonians. And they honored God. They submitted themselves to the rule and reign of Christ the King by turning from their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation. The Thessalonians have honored God's word and Paul wants them to pray that this honor would spread elsewhere. Paul also wanted them to pray that he and his co-laborers in the gospel, this is his third request, would be delivered from wicked and evil men. And this prayer request would have struck close to home for the Thessalonians. Not only were they facing some wicked and evil men who were unsettling them by telling them false things about the day of the Lord, but remember, they remember all too well the day that Paul and his companions were run out of town. They were run out of Thessalonica 
by wicked and evil men, stirring up a mob in the city. They stirred up a mob in the city, which eventually led to a violent attack on the house of a believer named Jason in an effort to find Paul and his companions. Jason, this Christian in Thessalonica, he was arrested and extorted for money. And for safety reasons, the, the Christians there, the brothers and sisters, had to send Paul and his companions away. If anyone knew how to pray for Paul and for his protection from wicked and evil men, it was the church in Thessalonica. This also reminds us that the gospel is always running in a hostile environment. With the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the inbreaking of the age to come through his ministry, we must still remember that the gospel advances in the midst of this present and evil age. There will be wicked and evil men who attempt to impede the gospel's progress. Paul states the obvious when he says that you know, not all have faith. This is why the Thessalonians and we today must pray and proclaim. Paul could just as easily said, you know, not all have honored the word or will honor the word. This is why we must pray and proclaim. Satan, he will do his best to deceive and destroy the work of the gospel. But we know that through prayer and proclamation of the word, the Lord, the word will continue to advance. What Paul is requesting here is that he and the Thessalonians would employ the means that God has ordained for the advance of the kingdom. That's prayer and preaching. And take heart. The kingdom will continue to advance. Just think of how small it began. You know, Jesus used the idea of a mustard seed that would grow into a great tree. And that's what's happened, just as Jesus said. And the kingdom will continue to grow. So what should we do? How should we apply these verses? We should pray and proclaim. We should pray for the speedy advance of God's word. We should proclaim the word of the Lord. We should take heart to, the, take to heart the encouragement of the pastor uh, who said a saint is to put forth his faith in prayer and afterward follow his prayer with faith. You know, toward the end of this week, many people will begin to think about Easter. For, for some, this will only mean they think about eggs and bunnies and caramel-filled chocolates, which I love. Good things to think about, right? They're delicious. But Easter is so much more glorious than that. What if, what if we prayed for specific people in our workplace or specific family members? What if we prayed for them? And asked for God to honor His Word in their lives. Praying and asking for God to honor His Word in the lives of our co-workers and neighbors and friends. And what if we invited them to consider what Easter is really all about by bringing them to church and hear the proclamation of the Gospel. Or even proclaim it to them then. We could invite them to consider why Jesus had to die. And invite them to the Good Friday service at 6.30. We could invite them to our regular Sunday morning service next Sunday morning. We'll think about Jesus' resurrection from the dead from John, from John's gospel. Let's pray and proclaim. Let's make Paul's prayer our prayer for our family and friends and co-workers. And let's invite them to consider the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, having considered Paul's first request, let's turn now and consider Paul's reminder. This is our second point, Paul's reminder. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, just verse 3. Take a look at verse 3. 
but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You know, having raised the prospect of wicked and evil men attempting to impede the progress of the gospel, because again, not all have faith, Paul then turns to remind the Thessalonians that even while they pray for his deliverance, that they too will be delivered. He grounds this reminder of their deliverance in the Lord, and particularly in the faithfulness of God. Paul's already said uh, to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, that God sovereignly brought the Thessalonians to faith in Jesus Christ so that he might bring them into Jesus' glory. And now Paul is reminding them of God's character to encourage them. He is reminding them that they can be full of faith toward God even in the face of the threatening evil one because God is faithful. This is a necessary reminder, especially in view of what Paul taught them in the first 12 verses of chapter 2. If you remember from our study of that, remember Paul told the congregation that yes, there would be a rebellion against God if the man of lawlessness who is spurred on by the evil one, by Satan himself, would attempt to deceive God's people and lead them astray. Paul told them that they needed to be on guard and that they guard themselves from being led astray by holding fast to the apostles' teaching. And now Paul tells them that their faithful God will guard them too. I wonder if you see how chapter 3, verse 3, and chapter 2, verse 15 are connected. If you look up just a little bit into chapter 2 and look at verse 15, there Paul writes, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. You could say that Paul was just telling them to be faithful there. You see, the Thessalonians were to give themselves a sure footing They were to establish themselves by holding to the principles of the apostles' teaching. This would establish them firmly in the faith. Then in verse 17 of chapter 2, Paul prayed that God would establish them. And now, here in chapter 3, Paul is asserting that God will answer his prayer to establish them. They need not fear even the evil one, even Satan himself. Though they should be on guard against Satan and aware that he may be energizing false teachers in this world, he is ultimately no match for God. No one will snatch those who are truly God's people out of God's hand. Why? Because every promise God makes, he keeps. God is faithful. If he has begun a good work in you, he will bring you on to completion. You know, that's why we read from the book of Numbers earlier in the service. What happened to the people of Israel? God was leading them into the promised land. They were supposed to be marching into the promised land, to the land that God had promised. God was in the midst of being faithful to His promises. But what did the people of Israel do? They were afraid of the people of the land. They couldn't see how God was going to be faithful to His promises. They couldn't see how they were going to get past these people. Brothers and sisters, we we don't have to see. We don't have to see how God will be faithful to His promises to press ahead. Faith is not about sight. But in case you come upon a moment in your life where the Lord calls you to follow Him without knowledge of what your future holds, which is every day for you, Christian, the whole of your life before you, in case you come upon... A moment like that where you're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me just remind you of what you have seen. 
you, Christian, have seen the whole of redemptive history play out up to this point in time. And what has happened? God has made promise after promise after promise. And He has kept promise after promise after promise. Back in the very beginning of the Bible, God promised right after the fall that He would send a Savior. And He did. God promised to Abraham that He would make of him a great nation. And He did. God promised the people of Israel He'd lead them into the promised land. And He did. God keeps His promises because He's faithful. Christian, you have seen that in redemptive history play out. He didn't have to remind us that He's faithful. He didn't have to prove it to us, but He did. We have seen the whole of redemptive history and God's faithfulness played out. He keeps His promises. We can be sure that just as He brought a sinful and rebellious people of Israel into the promised land, because of His grace and mercy, He will bring all of His people into the promised land of heaven too. Because He's faithful. Paul's reminder here in verse 3, it does not preclude difficulty. In fact, it might even presume it. Still, Paul's reminder also promises divine protection because that is what Jesus said He would do. You remember in John's Gospel, in John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus said that it was the Father's will that He would not lose one of all the Father has given to Him. The Lord will accomplish the Lord's will. It was Thomas Brooks who said, God hath in Himself all power to defend you, all wisdom to direct you, all mercy to pardon you, all grace to enrich you, all righteousness to clothe you, all goodness to supply you, and all happiness to crown you. Brothers and sisters, when you make it home to heaven, you will receive the crown of glory. Christian, you are going to make it home. Regardless of what happens on this earth or in this life, regardless of what difficulty we face, we're going to make it home. And do you know why? It's right there in verse 3. Because the Lord is faithful. No matter what Satan throws at you, Christian, be persuaded that God will. Look at the certainty of Paul's language there in verse 3. He will establish you and guard you. There's, there's nothing, nothing Satan can do that will lead you to fall away from the living God. There's nothing that Satan can say that will allow you to slip from God's grip. You are protected by the God who is faithful. He who led the people of Israel into the promised land of Canaan will lead you into the land of heaven. Uh, listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. This is what Paul said in his first letter to the Thessalonians. He said, he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Remember that, Christian. Children, youth, young adults, let me encourage you to talk with your parents or, or a mature Christian friend about how they have seen God's faithfulness in the Scriptures and in their lives. Let's take time to recount God's faithfulness to us and remind us of this wonderful truth. That would be a great conversation to have with your parents or a mature Christian friend this afternoon or this evening. 
In verse 4, Paul moves on from reminding the Thessalonians to reassuring them. So let's turn now and consider our third point, Paul's reassurance. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. Look at verse 4 now. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. I'm, I'm so encouraged and challenged by how Paul deals with the church in Thessalonica. They're a church who kind of spooks easily. Uh, they're easily afraid. In his first letter, he was trying to calm them down about a series of things. He, he wrote them an attempt to encourage them in the faith and to, to calm some of their fears. And he's continuing to do that in this letter too. This church lacks confidence. So Paul lends them his. Paul is deeply persuaded that the church in Thessalonica will keep doing the things that he has commanded. And that in the future, they will continue to heed Paul's apostolic teaching. Paul has told them that the Lord is faithful. And now he's essentially saying, I'm sure that you, I'm sure that you are going to be faithful too. That you're going to be faithful to the Lord. And notice where Paul's confidence is rooted. His, his confidence is not rooted in the Thessalonians' ability to hold to his apostolic commands. His confidence is not in their determination and their force of will. His confidence is not in their persistence. You know, there, there are some people in this world that we meet and we, we just think to ourselves, you know, they're going to go a long way. They just, they don't give up. They don't quit. Uh, they, even in the face of failure, they just keep pressing on. They try and try again. You know, maybe the Thessalonians are like that. But even if they are, it's not their self-determination that gives Paul confidence. It's the Lord. Paul is persuaded that the Lord is at work in the Thessalonians. He has seen it in their reception of his apostolic witness. They honored the word of the Lord. Paul saw that the Lord's work in their life. He sees it in the Lord's, the Lord's work in them and their willingness to keep his, his apostolic commands. He sees that the Lord's at work in them as they grieve the loss of their fellow brothers and sisters in death. They grieve as those who have hope. He sees the Lord's work in that way in their life. He sees that the Lord is at work in them as they face persecution and reject false teaching. This church has done that. Paul is persuaded. He is confident in the Lord and in the Lord's work in their lives. Paul believes that the Lord has begun a good work in them, in the lives of the Thessalonians, and that therefore he will bring it on to completion. This is what gives Paul the grounds for him to reassure the Thessalonians that he's confident that they will work out their salvation with fear and trembling and do what he commands. You know, sometimes we need to lend our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ our confidence that the Lord is at work in them. So some of you know that this is what I've tried to do with you from time to time. I've sat across the dinner table from some of you and tried to share with you why I've been confident that the Lord would give you the grace to follow him in this difficult season I've sat across from the, the living room from, from some of you as couples and tried to explain my confidence to the Lord about your marriage. We can believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things because of the great love of the Lord. If you want to encourage and lend your confidence in the Lord to another brother or sister in Christ, then you actually need to be looking, positively looking for evidence of grace in their lives. We need to see the Lord's work in each other. 
so that we can encourage each other with it when our brother or sister is discouraged. You know, we're, we're kind of good at seeing each other's sins, right? Even better sometimes than seeing our own. But how good are we at seeing God's evidence of grace in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ? When things are, are breaking down in life and our brother or sister comes to us discouraged, we need to be able to say to them, hey, do you remember the last time you were discouraged about your faith? Do you remember when we sat in that coffee shop off of Columbia Pike and we talked about how you weren't sure the Lord was going to pull you through this struggle? Do you remember how it was months and months of fighting for faith day in, day out? Do you remember how the Lord pulled you out of that tailspin and and how he gave you hope? And how you were actually even able to encourage other brothers and sisters in the faith because of what the Lord had done in your life? Brother, the Lord has been faithful and he will be again. I've seen his work in you. I'm confident that he will grant you daily faith and grace in this cold and wintry season of your soul. See, we can lend this kind of confidence to each other, but we have to be looking for evidence of grace in each other's lives so we can encourage each other with it. And we can even lend and remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. Consider, consider keeping a, a notebook of, of prayer requests that you've made and the Lord's answered. Remind yourself of the growth and grace that the Lord has been pleased to do and work out in your own life. You know, so often we, we are in the midst of a struggle and, and our focus is right here. And what we often need to do is kind of zoom out five years and take a look at what the Lord's done in our lives over those five years. We need to lend confidence to each other. And I think it's the kind of confidence that Paul is lending to the Thessalonians. This is the kind of reassurance that we need to give to one another. We need to to couple it with encouragement to do what God's word commands. You know, as Paul, he says he's confident that the Thessalonians are going to do what he commands. We need to keep walking in the commands and the ways of the Lord and honor him. While Paul reassures the Thessalonians, he also prays for them. In other words, Paul's second request is what we see in these verses too, in verse 5 in particular. So let's consider our our next point, Paul's second request. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. This is a prayer from Paul. Paul prays, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 5 is a prayer on behalf of the Thessalonians. Paul's offering this prayer. He requests that the Lord would direct the Thessalonians' hearts to two persons, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul pray that the Lord would direct the Thessalonians' hearts? Why their hearts? Because in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it tells us that the heart is the, is the wellspring of life. It's kind of out of where we live. Uh, Out of the heart we think and will and act and speak. James makes this very point in James chapter 3 when he's speaking about the tongue. James makes the case that our tongues reveal what's in our hearts. In fact, Jesus does precisely the same thing in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 7. Jesus is making the case that we live out of our hearts. We speak out of our hearts. The heart is the seat and center of our emotions and life. 
if the Thessalonians are going to persevere in the face of these afflictions, their hearts need to rest on a sure foundation. And that foundation is none other than God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question. When we pray for others, do we pray for their hearts? Do we pray for the hearts of our children? Do we pray for mere behavior modification? Do we pray for the hearts of our family members and co-workers? Do we pray for the hearts of our fellow church members? Do we pray for the Lord to be the foundation and focus of their affections? Do we pray for our own hearts? We pray for the Lord to be at work in our own hearts. We should. We should learn from Paul's prayer here and pray for each other's hearts. As I said a minute ago, Paul requested the Lord would direct the Thessalonians' hearts to two persons, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true, but Paul's request that the Lord would direct their hearts to something is even more specific. Did you notice that? Namely, that the Lord would direct their hearts to the love of God the Father and the steadfastness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would Paul append these kind of two attributes to the first and second persons of the triune Godhead? How is this an appropriate prayer for the Thessalonian church? If the Thessalonians' hearts were directed to God's love, how would that help them in their situation? How would it help them if their hearts were directed to the steadfastness of Christ? Let's think about this for a moment. If their hearts were directed toward God's love, they will be reminded that they have a sure and certain hope. It was God's love that called them and redeemed them. And it was God's love that secured their heavenly hope. They don't have to be afraid because God's love will never fail. What is more, in view of God's love for sinners, the Thessalonians may be spurred on to love sinners as God has loved them. They'll be spurred on to love their enemies, those whom they're facing in persecution and afflicted. Who knows how the Lord might be pleased to use their love to persuade their enemies to come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's love ought to comfort us and calm our fears and compel us to boldly love those who do not know the Lord and to proclaim God's love to them. What if their hearts were directed toward the steadfastness of Jesus Christ? How would that encourage them and help them? They would be reminded of what Jesus has done for them. They would be reminded of the hostility that Jesus endured for their salvation, for our salvation. Jesus persevered through people lying about him and lying to him. He remained steadfast when tempted in the wilderness by the evil one. He endured mockery, physical abuse, and unimaginable suffering. Christ's steadfastness would remind the Thessalonians and us that He persevered for us and for our salvation. He remained steadfast for us and for our salvation. Taking Christ's steadfastness to heart would strengthen them to persevere in the face of much affliction. I'm reminded of what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. We read this. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance or steadfastness. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters, when we are growing weary and faint-hearted in the race that is the Christian life, I pray that the Lord would direct your heart to the eternal and everlasting love of God. I pray that the Lord would direct our hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. I pray that the Lord would be pleased to use these realities to spur us on to love and good deeds. Well, we should conclude. This morning from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we've learned that just like everyone else, Paul needed prayer too. He and his companions requested that the church in Thessalonica pray that the gospel would continue to advance and spread and that they be delivered from wicked and evil men. Paul then reminded the Thessalonians of God's faithfulness and he reassured them of his hope and concern for them. And finally, Paul prayed for his brothers and sisters. He specifically prayed that the Lord would direct their hearts to the truths that they would need to persevere in this life. Prayer is essential to the Christian life. It's essential to our perseverance. It is a humble expression of our dependence. And it reminds us that we can depend upon the God to whom we pray because he's faithful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we confess that you are the only one who can keep and protect us and guard us until that day, until the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So Lord, we pray and ask that you would guard us and are persuaded, we are persuaded that you will keep and protect us until that day. Lord, remind us each day of your faithfulness. And Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Lord, direct our hearts to your love and to Christ's steadfastness for us. Lord, we pray and ask that you would honor your word in our hearts by giving us repentance and faith now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Our, our next song is entitled, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's number 54 in your hymnals. Let me encourage you to go ahead and turn to number 54 in your hymnals. You know, as I, um, as I meditated on 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, this past week, this, this, this song, uh, this hymn, came to my mind. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness. You'll, you'll notice in the first verse of this hymn, it begins by reflecting on the unchanging character of God. You know, so we will sing in the first part of the uh, hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. So we begin by reflecting on the character of God. And then the hymn turns to a personal declaration of God's faithfulness to us as believers. So we proclaim, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, 
unto me. Christian, isn't this your testimony? It is. So let's sing of God's faithfulness. Please stand as we sing.